turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 29. And he said, that's Jesus, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Father, thank you this morning for your word, and I pray that what I say today that is helpful and meaningful to those who hear, Lord, you would encourage them through it, and Lord, whatever else is in here that others may mine and find, and that, Lord, that you would bring that to their mind as well, Lord, so that all that you want to say through this passage, Lord, would be given to us. Amen. So this particular parable for this morning is unique to Mark. It's typically headlined as the parable of the growing seed. Many of us are very familiar with what is called the parable of the sower, or what might be called the four soils, and that parable is in all three synoptic gospels, along with the mustard seed that starts small and grows very large. Here in Mark only, we have this very brief parable, which is again about the sowing and growing of seeds. And whereas the parable of the soil, four soils often creates much discussion about each type of soil and its application to us and others, this four-verse parable seems very straightforward. The seed is planted, the farmer goes about his business, it grows, it is harvested. This parable focuses on God's work and his sovereignty. Meanwhile, it's unlikely the farmer is lounging around after sowing the seed, which a person might interpret from verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day while all this growing is going on. But clearly it focuses on the work of God, not you and I, in this growing after the sowing. We have many responsibilities as believers to obey commandments, serve others, glorify God, avoid becoming polluted by the world, looking after orphans and widows, and we rely upon Paul's direction in it all. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what we are going to be reminded of today is God's miraculous working in believers by his power and plan, and consider how to deal with this seed. Of course, we know the basics of the seed, since Jesus tells us in the parable of the four soils, he explains things to his disciples and simply states, the seed is the word 
of God. Now, we know there is never anything wrong with the seeds that are sown in all these parables. It's about the soil. The seed is the word of God, and there is never anything wrong with it, with a big if. That is, if it is properly read, interpreted, taught, and proclaimed. Now, in the world of farming, we have what are called GMOs, which are genetically modified organisms, and these seeds are now used throughout the world for much of our basic farm-grown foods we eat. But in the Christian world, when it comes to the planting the seed we are talking about here, we have today in the church our own modified seeds. Modified so it may not grow at all. Now, whether the modified seeds in our food supply are a problem, don't know. But the modified gospel teaching in the church is a problem because in many cases it is a seed that is corrupted before you even consider the soil. And if the seed in the church is actually bad modified seed, then we can even find ourselves thinking of the parable about the weeds where the bad seed sown brings forth worthless, devil-sourced weeds next to the good crop. Now, one of the ways the modified gospel can do its damage is to cause one to ignore our parable. Our farmer has two things, amongst others. He has patience and he has trust. Trust that the seed which he has is good, no need to modify it in any way, and lots of patience. But in the church today, we often see these two lacking. The seed, the gospel, and it is clearly given in Scripture, including things like judgment, hell, living the crucified life, losing your life to find it, counting the cost, following Christ in the obedience that comes from faith, can be modified, possibly, out of a lack of trust in God's power and sovereignty. Also, along with some impatience and the desire for pride and success, many new converts thus make it sound more pleasing to the ears of sinners. Well then, the sower of the seed might be in trouble from the start, since only weeds may be the results. But, Let's say it is full of truth, the seed is good, then the one who is planting it may be convinced it should be like one of those nature videos that time lapses the plant so it goes from seed to full grown in 90 seconds. The lack of trust, the lack of patience, and that can lead you right to a hurried sinner's prayer and thus one can think the plant must be growing right away, whether the soil is good or not, since a good seed was planted. The church and evangelism is thus sort of like a turbo greenhouse with lots of grow lights. Of course, that goes along with how we moderns live now with little patience. We rarely plant seeds. We go to the depot and get the plant already sprouted and well on its way to being grown up. That's not our farmer. This passage, it's especially helpful 
and understanding the absolute sovereignty of God. It completely confirms what Paul said to the Corinthians. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And this parable today comes after the parable of the four soils. And often when a person becomes a believer, they get past the first and second soil, okay, but then wrestle some with the third soil and hope they are truly of the fourth soil because the first and second soils are short term. Devil quickly takes away the planted seed. No, that's not me. Grow some at first with joy, then withers and I fall away. Not me, been a Christian for a while. But the third soil, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Should this one cause a person to examine themselves, their desire for Christ, is it thorny? Am I truly of the fourth soil, the good soil? So when we get to today's parable, its outcome shows that because that soil is indeed the good soil prepared by God, we've got a great hope. God is a miracle worker. The good soil is a miracle. The growing seed is a miracle. Both are God's miracles. So Mark records here, records Jesus, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He knows what kind of seed he's got and what type of plant will grow from it. If the soil is good, he plants with confidence. We'll know a tree by its fruit and we'll know what kind of tree is coming if we plant the right seed in the good soil. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. He hopefully has those two ingredients of trust and patience. If God's prepared that good soil, I planted the seed so God's going to make it grow. If you've seen endless acres of planted farmland growing, being watered by those giant sprinklers, one can fool himself and think, these farmers just plant and then rest, waiting to harvest. But wrong, of course, even when Paul is charging Timothy to teach others, calling Timothy to be a suffering soldier for the teaching of the gospel, he compares his work to the trained athlete and the hard-working farmer. So our farmer today is going about his daily business night and day, waiting patiently, certainly for the Lord to bring rain. And that lets us know he's ultimately trusting in the seed to grow, not by his effort, but that the planting and praying for rain is about all he can do. And then these important words in here, the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. He doesn't really know how it happens because he's not really in charge here. It just does. And do we know how it happens? that someone becomes a believer? Well, yes, we plant the seed. Now, if you look around the whole world, 
we notice most plants are not there because some human planted a seed. They reproduce on their own. It's not because someone planted them. God has created most to reproduce on their own with their own seeds within them. But that's not the way God presents his seed, his gospel to the world in this parable. The farmer plants, the farmer sleeps and works and watches, the farmer harvests lots about the farmer. Then the miracle of growth is what God does. The ready seed is given to him ready to plant. The oxygen is in the air. The sun is ready to shine on it. There's water coming to moisten it. God is taking care of all these things. Everything's ready for the seed, but got to plant it. There is a person, a farmer, doing the planting work. The fisherman casts his net to catch the fish. And if we aren't planting the modified seed, if rather instead we're planting, scattering the true gospel, we can have confidence that God will make it grow and bear fruit as it is watered only where he makes it grow. So night and day, whether we sleep or get up, He's ultimately in charge of the growth as we go about our lives. Right after our passage here, along with the mustard seed parable, Jesus is sleeping in the boat during a raging storm, so sound asleep that they had to wake him up to calm the storm. Jesus, he is a man with full confidence to always trust in the Father being with him as he does everything the Father tells him what he is there for. It must be planted. It must purposely be sown into the field to ears and eyes of other people. A man should scatter seed on the ground. This offensive gospel must purposely be taught, including the offense of the cross, in spite of resistance, in a way that makes us wise as serpents, but innocent as doves, like Paul. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. But he always makes it clear that salvation is by faith alone, through Christ alone, not by works, not by law-keeping, Otherwise, he says, the offense of the cross has been abolished because the cross does not need to be propped up and helped out, but to be proclaimed in all of its magnificent truth. For believers, the seed is planted in the good soil that God has prepared. Somehow it's watered. We or someone else waters it and God himself does watering through our efforts and, of course, all the circumstances of life he brings. God creates the real life that is meant to be filled only by God himself through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Then, for those who are called by God's mercy, things happen. Peter tells us what? You have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable to the living and abiding word of God. 
Paul presents Christ and salvation. And then when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So those things happen when someone becomes a believer. But really, we are like the farmer. We know a little, not a lot. Like Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That miraculous change in the heart, the heart that believes, how does that happen? Really not sure. I'm like the farmer. He knows not how. A hard heart that hates God, hides from God, ignores God. That heart then loves God more than life itself? Miracle? Yes. Then heeds the warning. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. But we all did, like the Israelites before that miracle. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of, that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit. Person may say, I changed my mind. Or I had a change of heart and claimed credit. But there is no credit due anyone but God himself for this miracle. And that is why the way this farmer thinks and acts is so comforting. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full-grown grain in the ear. When he says by itself, it does those things. That word is automate, just like automatic. Charles Spurgeon, he tries to give his description of how the Holy Spirit does its work in salvation as best he can using words like, hear not his voice, see not his light, feel not his touch, but it's a resurrection, a quickening from the dead. He enters into us. But then he ends with, all these words are only covers to our utter ignorance of the mode of his work with which it is not in our power to meddle. We do not know how he performs his miracles of love. We cannot save. So the farmer's patience, it is rewarded in the end. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. It comes in stages, starts out small. The seed first produces roots before anything else. It goes for the nourishing soil first, and only then a healthy plant grows upward. No root, no growth. When it's ripe, time for the harvest. And what kind of harvesting is this? This is the kind of harvest Jesus was speaking of when he was at the well with the Samaritan woman. He was speaking of himself and salvation. He told his disciples when they returned, Look, I tell you, 
Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest, and in it all, sower and reaper rejoice together. Isn't it comforting when Jesus finishes with, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. The sowing and watering and reaping, often various different farmers and fishermen. And no, ultimately, if the good seed and soil come together and sprout, then he who began that good work will bring it to completion. What are the ways the true gospel, the seed, goes out? Who are these farmers that scatter and wait patiently? Certainly not just the man on Sunday at the pulpit. Here's one example. Paul, he's so focused on the gospel being preached that he rejoices over the trouble he's having in prison. Firstly, he's in prison, but tells us being there has advanced the gospel since everyone knows he's there for that reason and his fellow brothers are emboldened to preach. So then he goes on to say that there are some problem preachers, fame and trouble-seeking preachers, who are preaching the gospel so that somehow his miserable prison life is even more miserable. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, he says, to afflict me in my imprisonment. But he's actually rejoicing in that because his main hope is that the gospel will be preached. And he writes, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. They think they're hurting him with their preaching, and he's saying, no, go ahead. You troublemakers, Christ is being preached. Also, if we are filled with the Spirit, Paul says we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, and we love to. The right songs have a powerful gospel message. So I go to a church, and I hear a tepid sermon about how we can all do good stuff and be happy and content. Nothing about Christ, sin, judgment, and it can be depressing. But then they pull out the hymnal, and here it comes into their ears. I once was far away from the Savior, just as vile as a sinner could be, and I wondered if Christ the Redeemer could save a poor sinner like me. Or how about Paul in Antioch? The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And Paul proclaims the word boldly to Jews and Gentiles, and many believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But then Philippi, where there aren't many Jews or synagogues, things are much more simple. Paul, with just a small group of women by the riverside, a place of prayer, where they sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And there was one named Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And just one 
comes to believe. And now, what of the end of our parable? But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The parable ends there with the harvest, the ripe grain, the true believer. And now what? Be glad in the harvest and rejoice with them. That's our earthly rejoicing. Can we imagine how they are rejoicing in heaven? How joyful it must be there? Like at the marriage supper? Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Jesus tells us what it's like up there even now. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And we must make sure we keep rejoicing with these new believers as they remain believers. And how do we do that? Well, here's an indirect clue. Jesus tells us in the wheat and weed parable, harvest time for wheat. Those who continue in the faith, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Bring them into my barn, meaning final redemption in Christ. But in the meantime, we want to make sure they get to that barn. So we must water continually together. When Jesus says the harvest has come, it's not like the seed that it came from. Seeds go in pouches. The harvest goes in a barn to be taken care of. How often do we worry when someone moves away that they find a good church? Because without it, their faith can be shipwrecked. They may wander even as the other 99 stay with the shepherd. Even though Jesus says, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Still, we are warned in Hebrews, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. This parable this morning explains we are only part way there. The end of the parable, the harvest, that's just the beginning of the work we have. The church, the Jesus-focused, gospel-preaching, community-loving, sacrificial-giving, praying, singing, God-glorifying church is critical to the harvest. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Yes, Paul says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teacher to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But we remember God also gave the exhorters, the givers, the merciful, the administrators, the miracle workers, and the hospitable open up their homers, the musicians, and the singers. So Paul concludes, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chooses. So, we must go on as Jesus says. We must not grow weary in doing good. We must keep praying and not give up. We must be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain.
It's critical. A train that keeps on so people can jump on what is already en route to the goal, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You've probably never heard of Philo Farnsworth, but many of you may be very happy he lived because Philo invented the television. How about Weiner Jacobi, the German scientist who invented what is the integrated circuit, what is now the chip in your iPhone that makes it all work? People come and go, once known by many, some exceedingly famous in their time, but as time goes by, they're forgotten. Few have done incredible feats, live in infamy for centuries. Caesar, Napoleon, Aristotle, Shakespeare. But most people who do ordinary things are completely forgotten by all. But there is at least one important exception of an ordinary person doing simple things. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. This is Mary, the sister of Martha. The disciples thought it was a waste. But then, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus said, she did it to prepare for his burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The woman's love for Jesus, expressed with a jar of perfume, will be told forever in memory of her. As long as the world endures, because Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached, what she has done will be told in memory of her, since the gospel, Jesus said, must be proclaimed to all nations before he comes, she will be known until then, known wherever this gospel is preached. The whole gospel, his dying for sin, thus propitiation for that sin by his death, satisfying his justice, fulfilling the law, destroying death, being buried dead in the grave and rising again for our justification, that's the full gospel which includes this memorial to Mary and her anointing him for that burial. Jesus even says it in that special way. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached, it will be told in memory of her. I think this is telling us something. The gospel and its proclamation is so important that even a seemingly small act toward that end, which is really a worship of Jesus and a sharing of his love for others, is actually monumental, so much so that just a simple act of pouring perfume by a simple woman creates a world history-enduring memorial to this woman. When I scroll through all the mountains of social media, many times I see people wasting their life, but not Mary. 
This is an obscure woman who did not waste hers. She didn't do much that day, but what she did do, God says, will be remembered by him and us forever. There is good seed that results in good trees and bears good fruit. And there are bad seeds that grow into weeds that are burned in fire. The farmer's good seeds grow and are fruitful, but the farmer does not know how, how God does it. Paul tells us the seed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God for salvation. God's power? By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That infinite, perfectly designed power of God is this word right here as well. Same power. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Really glad to not be modifying the seed, but rather simply trust that the seed that can be planted, the true gospel, the good news, is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. That seed, the gospel, is God's loving, merciful display of his power. We humans try valiantly to understand creation and the obvious massive power behind it. We know it's God and he does as he pleases. Yes, his power is displayed throughout creation as beyond our understanding. And this seed, this gospel, the power of God's salvation, what greater free gift of God, that of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, instead of the wages for sin, which is our death and eternal judgment. The revelation of God's grace, his glory to redeem guilty sinners, to display the glory of the Son. What greater way to know you are loved by God than he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. We love him with an undying love because he loved us with his dying love. So I do love this farmer. He plants the seed, trusting the good soil to do its good work in due time, as it is watered, goes about his business, watches it grow, and this, he knows not how. Knows not how God does it, but trust he will. Removes any plans to just drag new converts into the kingdom, rather than relying upon planting the seeds of the gospel, watering whenever possible, and trusting God in all of it, I know not how. I have to rely upon that infinitely powerful God who creates, rules, and runs the earth and universe all day, every day. But of course, farmer, 
He's very busy, night and day, as it says, doing his work and running the farm. So we, we can stake all our hope for the lost, hopeless, unbelieving, hell-bound and blind that surround us by the millions on Christ through his gospel that he has delivered to us. A sword for slashing through the swamps and thickets and quagmires of the spirit of this age to rescue those with unloosed chains that bind them in unbelief. The farmer scatters many seeds, and by God's grace, they sprout. He knows not how. I know not how. Only know that the wind blows wherever it pleases, and I cannot tell what will happen. But all these efforts for the gospel, every word proclaimed, every proper declaration of it, stand completely upon this simple fact. It is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. The last words of our Declaration of Independence, it ends simply, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor their sacred honor being all they stood for and fought for. And they did so to battle against a tyranny to be free of it. And we, we fight for a much greater freedom and against a far greater foe. And so in all our efforts, big or small, just a cup of cold water or like Peter before thousands, for God's kingdom, we, we must pledge our lives, our fortunes, and the pursuit of liberty for the captives, for the cause of Christ. To this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. This word, that cross, his power, and the unmerited tender mercy of our God, the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Father, thank you that, Lord, you display yourself in all of creation and in its mighty power, which is beyond our ability to even begin to fathom the endlessness of the universe, the billions of stars and galaxies and every little tiny thing that makes up everything that we touch and use and rely on every day, upholding all things by the power of your word and that unfathomable power, when combined with your unfathomable mercy to sinners, God, that power through your word 
is the salvation of those who are yours, who you call out of darkness into your wonderful light. So Lord, thank you for delivering to us that gospel with its mighty power that we can trust in, just as we trust in every day that you will raise the sun up, put it down at night, run the galaxies. Your power is never, never missing from your word. It shall not return void, but do what it is meant to do by your sovereignty and your grace. Amen. Thank you.